How many of you have ever been desperate in your life? Anybody ever been desperate? Have you always made the best decisions in your life when you're desperate? Why not? You're on auto mode when Becky's on auto, automatic pilot when she's in desperate mode. Can you can you name some good things that have happened to you when you're desperate? Anybody? Just it's a rhetorical question, so you don't have to. You call out to Jesus. Okay, so today's text has some of that in it, but it's got a kind of an odd comment from Jesus in there, and I want to set set you up to understand what's going on around it. So as we read it this morning, I want to make sure you know that foxhole faith, have you ever heard that terminology? A foxhole faith. In other words, you only talk to Jesus when you need something or you're scared. It's not actually what he's after most of the time. But let's read the text. This is just following the woman at the well. We've been talking about the woman at the well for quite some time. And so he says, after two days in Samaria, he departed for Galilee. This is from John chapter 4, verses 43 and beyond. For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. Do you know what that means? What does it mean that a prophet has no honor in his hometown? You're only an expert if you're 50 miles away. Is Well, yes, that is a big significant piece of it. You can't be the out-of-town expert from in town. That doesn't work. And lots of times a prophet isn't, isn't held special in their own town because they grew up there and everybody knows all the things they did wrong and they've never been forgiven for it. And so now when they're out serving the Lord, that is all just brought right in there. By the way, that's exactly the same thing about like talking to, about Jesus to your relatives. How many of you like that process? Have you been terrified of talking to your relative about Jesus? It's because they know exactly who you are and they've, they've experienced you firsthand. A prophet is without honor in his hometown. But when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him having seen all the miracles or all he had done at Jerusalem, for they had gone to the feast too. So here he is. He's in a place where they only are really welcoming him because they've seen him do miracles. And so he came again to Cana. Cana is where he turned water into wine earlier, where he had made the water into wine and Capernaum And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. And when the man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. And Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Doesn't that seem odd? I mean, it seems sort of like an odd response from Jesus, our loving Savior, that right in the midst of this moment, here comes a man whose son is dying, and he says, Jesus, come help him. And he says, you guys won't believe unless you see miracles. I just want you to hear that response just in that way. If you come to Jesus and you need something, does he say to you, Do you only come because of the miracles? Or perhaps you should think to yourself, do I only go to see him when I need something? 
I only go to a pop machine when I want to pop. I don't go hang around the pop machine for other things. This is not quite the relationship we're after. Anywhere, I, what I want to say is this is really aimed at the Galileans over his shoulder. And I want to take a little pause and read the other texts on this topic. This is John telling the story, but here is in Matthew, um, Jesus returned to Capernaum. A Roman officer came and pleaded with him, Lord, my young servant lies in bed, paralyzed, or young child, lies in bed, paralyzed, in terrible pain. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. But the officer said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come into my home. Just say the word from here and it will be done. There's a lot of commentaries that say this is the same incident, but Matthew doesn't record the response to the community around who's only really happy to see him because he's going to bring presents with him. Right? Jesus is Santa Claus. Thank you, Bev, for that nice lead-in. We're over there. You, you led into me there that we only really want Santa Claus because of the presents right? But as Christians, we need to want Jesus for his presence, as in he's around us and be there in relationship with him. Anyway, back to our story. The official said, sir, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. And the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he went down, his servants met him and told him that the son was recovering. And so he asked them what hour he began to get better. And they said to him, yet yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he believed. He and all his household believed. And this is the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. And I, I, I need to make sure that we, as believers, don't spend our lives only going to Jesus when we need something. We were talking about this in my Sunday school class this morning. If you have a friend and you walk up to them and you only talk, and as soon as they get ready to listen, you walk away... How's that relationship going? If you do that over and over and over again. All you ever do is talk. You never listen. You just say stuff to them and you walk away. Is that the way you make best friends? Has anybody ever tried that method for a best friend? No, because it's not how it works. If you want to know Jesus, we need to become come into his presence and share and give and take. I hate to say this, but a lot of us pray just like I just described people creating friend. They come in, they pray to Jesus, they, they say amen, and they walk away, and they don't listen for Jesus' response. Because you're trying to have a conversation here. Prayer is a two-way street. Mainly, and I need to say this, that he does actually know what you need and what you're going to ask for before you ask for it. But he just, God just really wants to hear and be in your presence and have you be in his presence. 
But if you're going to make a friend, you just don't walk up to them and only speak. It just doesn't work. In the same way, it doesn't work only to come to somebody and say, I need something. And as soon as they give it to them, they never see you again. until you need something else. And then you just keep coming back, right? You only come when you need something. That's the story of the Galileans here in in our text. They're only glad to see him because he did some mighty things, right? He healed people. Maybe he'll heal us. He'll take care of our stuff. But as soon as he does it, they're going to turn around because that is not the way that depth of relationship and friendship and faith is made. It really isn't. Why would I say that? I want to make sure that you hear this in the same way. We're in the context of the woman at the well, and she went into town. Remember the story. She went into town and said, come meet the man who told me everything about me. It's the Messiah, I think. Or could this be the Messiah? And they came out and they said, They came because she said something. And then after they spent some time with him, they said, now we believe because of his word, not because you said something about it. I hate to tell you this, but your witness and how you share Jesus' faith does not create faith and trust in somebody else for Jesus. It doesn't make them a disciple. It doesn't convert their heart. You have never, I'm going to say this really plainly as I can. You've never converted anybody to Christianity because you can't do it. You can't give them a new heart. You can't give them a a heart of a fresh spirit inside them. You can only introduce them to the one who can. This is something I learned street witnessing. We used to go out street witnessing all the time and think, how come this isn't working? We should be converting people all the time. And our whole idea was is that we needed to take Jesus to these people and we needed to convert them. But when you open the Scriptures up and you start reading, what you find out is this. Only God converts. Now there's some peace and there's some comfort in there. If you can't do it, you get blamed for it when it doesn't happen. Let me ask you that question again. If you can't do something and it doesn't happen, do you get blamed for it? Now, I know some of you have been blamed for things you can't do. That doesn't mean that the blame is yours to hold, is it? No, but if you can't convert somebody to Christ, then you're not to blame when they don't convert. If God's the only one that can convert somebody, then he gets all the responsibility and all the credit. And all the credit. But when we go out and we do this, here's a man who needs a miracle. He's desperate. And he comes to Jesus. This is exactly the same as hearing about him from somebody else. And you come. If you come for the miracles or because somebody told you to come, that's not the same as believing in Jesus. You came because you thought you needed help with something. And, well, Jesus can help with this. And so you help. And if you turn around at that point and go on and live your way, you've still received a blessing from him. 
but you don't have a deep and lasting trusting faith. I need to make sure you hear this because if you want to have a deep and lasting and trusting faith, you need to trust in him, not just the things he does. The scriptures are very clear about this, that that he blesses the righteous and the unrighteous alike. He causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. He doesn't just give give his people rain and everybody else is in a constant drought. Have you noticed that? There are people that don't believe in Jesus that they have blessings from God in their life. Because all good gifts come from God. That's not the type of God we have. That, if you want to argue with me about that, I'm going to have you read the book of Job. Because the book of Job is about a man who believes only good things happen to good people and only bad things happen to bad people. Now I know that there's many people in our town that believe that God is good to the good people and bad to the bad people, but that is a karma bank. That is not Christianity. That is an Eastern religion that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And and if you get desperate enough, you'll come to him and you'll get some good stuff because you'll repent. But that is not what's going on within the biblical model. The biblical model is is that he blesses those that come to him and some of them put their faith and trust in him. But he blesses everybody. He really does. His blessings flow through that, but it's not the blessings that are salvation. The blessings are like icing on top of the cake or gravy with, with the meal. If you only come for the presence, then you think Jesus is some form of Santa Claus. And I would like to say it this way. Miracles don't cause life change. They identify who the life changer is. Let me explain that just a little bit. What's the difference between having a miracle in your life happen and trusting the one who can do it? This is not a little point of faith. There are people in this room, myself included, that have things in their life that they would really wish God would immediately take care of. I've been that person with my hip. I spent years in a pain situation that was intolerable, always wanting him to heal. But, but the point of the matter is this, is that if we trust in Jesus as our Lord, we don't trust in him because he did heal us. We trust in him because he can heal us. And if he does or not, is not dependent on whether or not you trust him. He is the maker and the blesser and the savior of us all. But if you want to know this Jesus, then we don't become desperate for his miracles, but desperate for his presence in our lives, for him in us and near us, in relationship with us, 
for him to be near, palpably near. Can we become desperate for that? That's what the Advent season is really about, is becoming ready and willing and desperate, not because he's going to do good things in your life, but because he is the one who makes life possible. The Christmas season, it starts out, I started out this Christmas season talking about Advent the first Sunday, about what it was like when you're afar off from him, when you feel far, even though he's not far away, he feels far away, and he comes. And then the next Sunday, we talked about what it is when he's nearby, when you can be there. Last week, to those who were invited to come, this week to those who are desperate. There is a desperation that comes. And in your desperation, in that moment of need, come to him and, and he may do the miracle, but come to him and meet him and become desperate for his word, for his life in us. Become desperate there. Because desperation itself isn't a bad thing. It's what are you desperate for? So today, three days before Christmas, right? Three days. Let's become desperate to get to know him better. All the, mir- all the miracles, I keep wanting to say miracles, all the miracles, in, <laughs> as my dad would say, get the emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> All the miracles are just the icing on the cake. They're not the stuff of faith. They're not done because of your faith or not your faith. They're done because God blesses. The true miracle is when we look past the desperation of needing one thing and become desperate to know and need him. And that's the stuff of faith and trust, and life. Let's do that. Lord Jesus, this morning, as we come into your presence, as we pay attention to the Christmas season, as we learn to love you for who you are, not just the gifts you give. Help us learn that. Help us be your people. Help us attend to your time and your place in our lives. In your precious name, Lord Jesus, amen.